Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We hope everybody out there is staying safe and sound, washing their hands, keeping their social distancing, but most importantly, being well. Here on the Wall of Power Radio Hour on AM 950, we want to bring you great shows with cool people from all walks of life in all 50 states. My guest tonight is a uh, radio legend from Philadelphia named Michael Tierson. He's had an over 50-year career in the radio, started his first show in 1967, the first album rock show on WXPN. He's also worked at Sirius XM uh, doing a thing called the Bob Dylan Radio Hour before Bob Dylan himself decided to start his own radio show, which sent Michael to a show called Deep Tracks on Sirius XM. He's also got two webcasts, The Marconi Experiment and Radio That Doesn't Suck, both uh, both that I would highly recommend. You can track them down on iRadio Philadelphia. He's got uh, a lot to talk about. He was... uh, The great producer, Hal Wilner, who passed away last week, was a Philadelphia guy. And in the obituary for Hal Wilner, uh, who produced great tribute shows, did the theme music for the sketches on Saturday Night Live and more, uh, was quoted years ago talking about growing up in Philadelphia radio. He said, you had old-time rock and roll DJ, high lit in the morning, and Michael Tierson playing Hendrix, Captain Beefheart, Dr. John. And then there was Gene Shea's folk show, and they'd play the Fireside Theater and old Orson Welles radio shows at night. I never loved a radio station like that again. One of the men that uh, Hal Wilner, the late great Hal Wilner name-checked, was our guest tonight, Michael Tierson. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Let me just correct a little bit on the webcast. Yeah. The rev the what the site is i the letter i radio philly dot com. Okay. And that's where the Marconi experiment in the attic are available Monday to Monday. And the other one is radio that doesn't suck dot com or for short R T D S dot C A and there is a cache of over hundred and fifty wildly diverse shows, all free and on demand. I don't make a penny. I make art. <laughs> you know, and you uh, you gifted me with about six different shows a few weeks ago that I got in the mail. I've listened to all of them, and uh, you really have the magician's touch uh, back when a lot of us grew up with uh, radio as theater of the mind. Yeah, and now it's theater of the mindless. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like radio has become kind of just like an oral curtain that hangs there desperately trying not to engage. Mm-hmm. I engage. What were you, uh, What and who were your influences in terms of radio when you were coming of age before you started being a DJ? I was in Baltimore. I grew up in Baltimore, and I was listening late at night to WBZ out of Boston, particularly Dick Summer, who for a long time lived not too terribly far from me, but I never got to meet him, and he's moved back up to New- to Massachusetts. He did brilliant things in the middle of the night on BZ, and there was his colleague Jefferson Kay who did a Sunday folk music show that was also very influential in Washington. WAVA had Dick Sari doing a, his folk music show, and that was also very influential. I was a, a, the first 
of the, the actually the second of the regional columnists for Boston's Broadside magazine, and I did that for several years. It was my hmm. first real printed work, and I was a solo folk singer at the time, too. Well, and uh, we're going to play uh, a little bit of a song uh, that you recorded of mine called Jack Ruby in the third segment of the Wall of Power Radio Hour, so we will uh, bring a little bit of it that Michael Tiersen is folky back so people can enjoy that as well. Tell us a yeah. little bit about uh, your relationship with Hal Wilner. Well, we we never really got to see too much of each other. I last saw him. I, I was going up to New York City to do shows on Sirius XM. Um, and I, one day I made it a point of getting to go over to Hal's office, and we had a lovely visit for a couple of hours. And he told me how important my work had been to helping him open up to being as eclectic and daring and bold and uh, creative as he was. His first uh, album credit was helping on the second Leon Redbone album. And um, his first real tribute album was for the Italian film uh, writer, film music writer, Nino Rota. And uh, the first one that I really fell in love with was an album called Lost in the Stars, the music of Kurt Vile. And he did a second Kurt Vile tribute as well. And, and we're, uh, we're, we're going and, to play uh, a cut The song on the first too. one was an instrumental, and on the second one, Elvis Costello sang Lost in the Stars, which is a song that means more now maybe than it ever has. I was reading uh, several articles about Hal Wilner after he passed, and uh, one thing that, uh, the two things that, that really stood out to me. One was, there used to be a great television show. It was originally called Sunday Night, and then it morphed into uh, night music that featured David Sanborn in a great band. And it ran for about two years. I think there was 44 episodes. And I was just knocked out by how eclectic the lineup uh, was and the musicians he had on that uh, they had on that show, and then I found out that Hal Wilner was the uh, musical director of the show, and I thought, well, now, in retrospect, that makes perfect sense. Do you remember that TV show? I never really got to see it. Oh. Um, I don't know if we had it in Philadelphia, but he always was doing incredible things about bringing artists together. He produced something like over 30 albums, and I'm planning for my webcasts this summer a magnum opus to be called Worlds of Wilner. It will d- divide his work into three parts. These single artist albums, people like Marianne Faithful and Lou Reed and Leon Redbone. And Tim Robbins did an album of his own songs with Hal. Hmm. And he did soundtracks uh, for movies like Shortcuts and Kansas City for Robert Altman. And um, he did some amazing concept albums, as well as the tribute albums I mentioned to Kurt Vile. He'd also done Mingus. He had done um, Thelonious Monk and uh, Harold Arlen, an amazing album of Harold Arlen things. And he did two two disc sets called Rogues Gallery, Pirate Ballads, Sea Songs, and Shanties. Wow. And just looking at one of them, some of the artists include Richard Thompson, Nick Cave, John C. Riley, the actor, Loudon Wainwright, Brian Ferry, Robin Holcomb, Bill Frizzell, Sting, and it goes on and on. And how eclectic can that be? It was uh, 
Amazing. He was uh, he passed at 64, which is the age I am now. So we basically grew up in the exact same time. And I was reading uh, an interview that he did with someone, and he said, man, he goes, I'm just not sure if kids had heroes like we did, and I'm including you in that too, Michael. And he said, uh, he said something that... that that I really related to. He said, I remember the day John Lennon was uh, murdered. He goes, I couldn't I was go- on the air that night. Wow. I, and, and Hal said, I couldn't go to work for two days. It was so, uh, you know, so tough to deal with. That was one of the most emotional nights of radio that I've ever done. Tell us about and that night. Keeping that- on top of that story, uh, as it just got horrifically worse and worse and worse. And I was... I pulled out, of course, all the Beatle albums and John Lennon albums we had in the studio. And I, I remained furious that I couldn't get into the music library to get some of the other Lennon albums that were locked away. I already had an experience where I'd gotten fired for cut, for kicking a door down. <laughs> <laughs> That's a famous story in Philadelphia. You temperamental I didn't feel like I needed to go there again. Right, right. But what? I was focusing on playing the John Lennon songs with the Beatles. I mean... Playing yesterday would have been just wrong. Mm-hmm. Had to play the John Lennon, the things that John was about. So what and, were some of those tunes you played that night, Michael? Oh, I, I can't really remember, but, right. you know, that, that that's 40 years now. Right, right. It's hard to believe. Well, when you got started... It was the very beginning year of Album Rock Radio, 1967. Yeah. And... It was the the best thing that can ever happen to an artist, Paul, is to be able to work in a medium, a genre, with no history and no rules. Mm -hmm. Make it up as you go along. And I got to do that with album rock radio. I've always felt if you get to do that one time in your life, you're incredibly lucky. You get to do it more than once, you're a genius. And I don't think I'm a genius, (laughs) except maybe for that form of radio. Well, I... uh... I know one thing for sure, and you and I, I'm not sure exactly how did you and I meet? Well, I was pulling together my album, Stuff That Works, which I recorded with my friend Tom Hampton back in 2011. And I had decided to do two of your songs, St. Louis County Fair and Jack Ruby. (laughs) Jack Ruby, because it's a story that people need to know. People need to hear that story. And uh, again, it's so much about the um, misdealings of government and uh, lying to the people. And I got in touch with you about uh, figuring out that those songs, I think. I think that's how we really got in touch. What year was that, Michael? 2011. Okay. Almost 10 years ago. We've got uh, Michael Tiersen, a legendary DJ from Philadelphia, on the show all night tonight. Uh, We've never met in person, uh, but we've had several in-depth phone conversations and email and I tre- exchanges. And I count you as a treasured and dear and precious friend. Likewise, brother. We're going to listen to uh, Lost in the Stars from the Kurt Vile tribute record produced by Hal Wilner. This track uh, performed by the great Elvis Costello. And then we'll be back with Michael Tiersen for the whole night on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Before Lord God made the sea and the land, He held 
and they ran through his fingers like grains of sand, and one little star fell along. Then the Lord God hunted through the wide night air for the little dark star. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz, and my guest for the whole show tonight, legendary Philadelphia DJ, Michael Tierson. Michael. You know, I, when I, I listened to the Elvis Costello performance before I sent it to you, and tears were streaming down my face. It's mm-hmm. such a gorgeous thing. And the, the words mean so much now. Yeah, especially within this last 10 days. Michael, you have, uh, I know from the shows you've sent me, from your podcast, uh, and I know speaking with you and following you on Facebook, you're a very passionate human being with with the love of of music and musicians in this country. Where did that... And around the world. Yeah, and where did that passion start? When did the flame get lit? I was kind of a radio geek as a kid we had you know top 40 radio in baltimore and i had a cousin steve ember who one sunday morning picked me up and took me to where he was monitoring the uh sermons that aired on that station and he was a dj himself he wound up in voice of america for many decades and uh, i haven't spoken with him in many many years but uh, my brothers are in touch with him i have two brothers and um, I, I'd always, music had always been something that I was passionate about. I remember when my parents brought home two 10-inch Josh White LPs mm-hmm. in the early 50s. And I fell in love with Josh White. And that was the first concert I ever went to see on my own. I got really? to see Josh White at the Lyric Theater in Baltimore. Did he, uh, still- you know, Josh had that great, uh, uh, you know, he was a real showman, a great bluesman and jazz cat. But you see those great pictures of him where he had the cigarette behind, lit cigarette behind his ear. Did he do that? I actually remember him sticking a cigarette on the end of one of the little pieces of string. (laughs) Back when you could smoke and perform, my God. And he would have his one foot up on the chair with the guitar on his knee like that. Mm -hmm. And he had the most wonderful laugh it could be warm or it could be wicked and he was just wonderful one meatball is a a stone classic and he wrote you know see he did saint james infirmary and he did a song that he rewrote to that melody called the free and equal blues Hmm. which is um brilliant and still timely so where were when did you uh first get into new york city and see some shows there i'm sure you did not nearly so much. I was in Baltimore, and I never traveled much. I got to see a few shows at the Fillmore. Uh, I remember seeing Laura Nero and Neil Young oh, and let's Miles talk, Davis. Let's, on the same bill? Yeah. 
Wow. Say that again one more time. On the same bill at the Fillmore East. Neil Young and Crazy Horse, Laura Nero, Miles Davis. Wow. Man. And in Philadelphia in 1970, um, as I was finishing up college and I was on WDAS-FM doing overnights then, I'd become the Friday night MC at the Electric Factory. And one of the nights I remember most vividly was the night that um, Cold Blood was the opening act, and it was the Philadelphia debut of a little outfit called the Allman Brothers. Wow. (laughs) I got to introduce their first appearance in Philadelphia. Wow, that must have been mind-blowing. There was a night when Kaleidoscope was there, Hmm. and I loved Kaleidoscope because they were strange and eclectic, and they were one of the really first bands to do music from all over the world. David Lindley was one of the members, right, exactly. and I knew of David from the String Band Project album on Electra Records as part of the Dry City Scat Band, and I name-checked them and took a look over at David, and he gave me one of those, the hell is that? <laughs> and um, we've been friends ever since. How's David doing? I, I saw him in concert about seven or eight years ago. At the He's st- doing fine. He oh. gets out when he can. Um, of course, he still plays with Jackson Brown whenever possible, and yeah. Jackson's recovering from COVID. Right. Yeah, I saw him at the Cedar Cultural Center on the West Bank of Minneapolis, and it was just phenomenal. And, of course, he attributes his sartorial style of dress to the great uh, Lightning Hopkins. Ha! <laughs> he's got those wacky shirts, and, you know, he's just... He loves uh, his polyester. Yeah, he loves his polyester, the polyester prince, David Lindley. We've got about uh, four minutes left uh, in this segment. Michael Tiersen from Philadelphia, we so appreciate you taking time to chat today. Uh, when I called you uh, earlier this week to start to set up this interview, uh, you told me how many... CDs and records do you have at your house? Over 20,000. Wow. And I do my shows exclusively from CDs. Many people just line up the the files and maybe add some words. That's not how I do it. I record the shows in real time so that I'm listening and responding to the music. And it's a much richer experience for me and for the listener, I believe. Now, Michael, it's, tell us once it's again. It's the only way that it makes sense to do it. It's real. Yeah, well, I know the, the six uh, CDs you sent to me were just brilliant. Tell the uh, audience out there in the Wall of Power Radio Hour again how they can track down your podcast. Well, the biggest bulk of them is on the radio that doesn't suck.com website, which for short is rtds.ca. It's based out of Toronto. My friend Todd, Todd Miller, another dear friend I've never met, uh, has been responsible for giving me that platform and total artistic freedom. The hours can go as long as 75 minutes. They don't need to be 60-minute hours. I'm freed from that tyranny. The other two shows are on iradiophilly.com, the letter I, Radio Philly, P-H-I-L-L-Y. And the Marconi Experiment and The Attic are available as podcasts, free and on demand, Monday to Monday. The RTDS shows are all free and on demand as well. And you are also... In this this day and age, these are a treasure. I hope people will check them out. Yeah, and you're you're, you're creating the historical documents 
as you go. And people can also reach out to you on Facebook, right? Michael Tearson, T-E-A-R-S-O-N, correct? Correct. Yeah. So with about two minutes left here, tell us a little bit about uh, this next track we're going to listen to, which is The Ballad of a Soldier's Wife by Marianne Faithful. What record was that on? That was on the first of the two Kurt Vile uh, tributes that Hal Wilner produced. And again, they had such incredible artists on them. That one album had Sting and Stannard Ridgway and um, Van Dyke Parks and um, Henry Threadgill <laughs> and uh, Dagmar Krause, Tom Waits, Carla Blay with Phil Woods, Lou Reed. And in this one, Marianne Faithful with Chris Spedding doing hmm. the ballad of the soldier's wife. Wow. You know, I, there's a great story about uh, Carla Blay. When, uh, and I've been as guilty of it. My friend David, the late great David Carr from the New York Times, when, when he lived in Minneapolis, we'd go to shows. I would always uh, put it in my pocket some of my CDs too if we got backstage to give the artists. And Carr used to reflect... Uh, Define that as Metza sliming uh, the, the the artist um, schlepping his music to him, but which is how independent musicians work. But I remember Carla Blaze saying years ago, this was from a Musician Magazine interview she did. She said, "Now you know if you want to give me your music on cassette, just make sure you don't t- uh, take the tabs out." <laughs> So she could re-record if she wanted on the cassette. Anyway, we got Michael Tirson on, and we're going to listen to uh, Marianne Faithful doing Ballad of a Soldier's Wife. And we'll be back with Michael after the song and messages. What was sent to the soldier's wife? From the ancient city of Prague From Prague came a pair Of high-heeled shoes With a kiss or two Came the high-heeled shoes From the ancient city of Prague What was sent to the soldier's wife from Oslo over the... Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We hope everybody out there in AM 950 land is doing well. And remember, social distancing, washing your hands, uh, but keep a positive attitude as well. It's very important. Minnesota is one of the healthiest states in the union, thanks to our great governor, Tim Walls. Michael Tierson, speaking of keeping uh, on the sunny side of the street, you've been very transparent and very open on Facebook with your issues with depression. Yes, when this all thing, I've, I've been a clinical depressive really all my life. Back when I was a kid, about nine or ten, my folks sent me to a psychologist because they were con- con- concerned that I wasn't mixing as I should. And I've always been a solitary individual, so those many years I was on WMMR in Philadelphia doing late-night radio, the only one in the, in the building, really. It was perfect for me. It was never the same show twice. I don't, didn't repeat myself. Every night was special and different, and I was on fire. 
man, would you believe that at that point I was getting 25 and 30 shares Wow! in some of my hours? Wow. That's amazing. That doesn't happen. Yeah. And, jeez. Uh, and this was in a huge urban area. Yeah. So more recently, I, I had an incredible, I had the worst depression fugue of my lifetime. I'm subject to these things, and I've gone back 45 years. It's a two-stage trigger. First, I need to be in an extended period of feeling low. Then there needs to be a negative, severe personal shock, which cuts loose a chemical imbalance in my body. And it thrusts me into this, these darkest places, and I don't even realize I'm on this ride until just about at the end of it. And I know that's how it works because I've had a couple of occasions when the last of the chemicals burned out and the curtains opened and the light came in again. <laughs> and that was just one of the most profound self-realizations that I've had. So um, I've, I've rec I, I had recently had, they typically last two to four days. This serious one lasted two weeks. It <laughs> nearly killed me. Wow. And after a weekend when I found... I could barely eat. It took me five hours to eat a muffin on a Sunday morning. Huh. I got meds the next day, and one of them was really good, Prozac. One of them, Wellbutrin, was a disaster, and I, I got off of that quickly. And at the end of the week, I had the worst panic attack I woke up with that I'd ever had, and I got some... Uh, uh, oh, oh, I'm blanking on the name of the thing um, right now. It's, it's a K name. Right. But it's been, they've been, the drugs have helped me stay even. And I've been very open about getting help. And I'm doing therapy. I found a therapist who was wonderful the first time, incredibly lucky. And it's important for people not to feel any shame about reaching out for help that they need. It's survival. Hmm. We're talking about survival now. Right. Well, and you. Are, you know, you had the love of your life. Clonopin. That was the oh, drug, Clonopin. Yeah, sure, I've heard of that. T let's, let's talk a little bit about, you've been so uh, out front talking about the love of your life who you lost years ago. Lynn, correct? Lynn, yes. It was a Greek tragedy. I have, she was the one woman I ever truly loved, and I knew it the first night I met her. She called me, uh, one night on the radio and we talked for a couple of hours and I suggested that she could meet me that Saturday night at J.C. Dobbs, the famous bar in Philly for music. Mm -hmm. But she said she couldn't make it and she had a family thing. So that's the next night, Friday night, there was a regular senior at Penn who was just wonderful and I'd been wanting to get up the guts to ask her to meet me and I suggested she come and she said she'd try and make it. So I was upstairs and it was about 11, and I hear, oh, Michael? I said, oh, Fran. She says, who's Fran? And I went, wait a minute. You must be Lynn. You said you weren't coming. And you're going to love this. <laughs> I gave her the stool that I was on. She perched on it and lost her balance. She was a little tipsy. <laughs> and grabbed my coat and in very slow motion pulled fell to the floor, pulling me down on top of her. I <laughs> fell in love instantaneously. Absolutely. Well, and by the end of the next night when we had a movie date, I knew that I had to get that woman's attention. Five weeks later, we were engaged. Five wow. weeks more, I had moved in. 
from January to August. In August, we were married. And the following January, she was diagnosed with four years of breast cancer. Wow. She was terminal and undiagnosed, the most upbeat woman that I'd ever known. Terminal and undiagnosed when we met. We had, from the point of her diagnosis, four years and four months. Wow. I have not had a real major girlfriend since. I'm trying with therapy now to unlock my heart because I need to find, let some new love get in. I really need to find that kind of companionship. Well, you would be a good catch for somebody out there that loves a passionate, articulate, and hip cat. Let well, me... I'm, I'm just hoping. Yeah. The, the, the therapy gives me hope. I'm not used to having hope, and I'm trying to nurture it. How does it feel to, you know, because I've had my bouts with depression over the years, back when I was in high school, when I talked to my counselor about it. Back then, he used to refer to it as a seasonal disorder of some sort. And, uh, of course, in Minnesota, it gets cold and then dark. And I'd fight my way through it. I'd have trouble sleeping. I think for me, it was kind of, that's how I always found an outlet in music as kind of, that was my that was my therapy. You know, I never uh, saw a therapist or psychologist. And doing these shows is my therapy. When I would get into those, I called them depression fugues. Most of the time, I would instinctively isolate myself because I knew it wasn't good to be mixing with people then, and I would do a lot of my best work. There was one time I had a, a pair of them in March, and I did trilogy shows of people covering Leonard Cohen and Tom Waits. Hmm. And um, I've always felt that even though I did the Dylan show, Leonard Cohen is my single favorite writer. I had one day... In about 1984, he was in Philadelphia to do a few book signings, and I walked him from one place to the other, and we had the most marvelous chat and got a little bit acquainted like that. And it's one of those shining moments that will forever be with me. I had him sign a book of poems and a copy of the New Skin for the Old Ceremony with the old ancient engraving cover that got censored because of the nudity on it. Hmm. Michael, who else have you developed relationships with musically from being, uh, you know, a very well-known radio DJ? I know every time I mention somebody like Eric Anderson, oh, he's a friend of mine, John Oh, yeah, he's a friend of mine, <laughs> you know. But tell us about some other people that you've, you've not only been able to present on the air but develop personal relationships with. Well, this is someone that I only met once, and I think it's just an amazing story. Uh, it was 1973 with my first wife, Cinny. We were walking up Portobello Road in London, and we stumbled onto the office for the brand new Virgin Records. And I went in because I was aware of the label and how cool the thing, the singles they were putting out were. And Richard Branson was there. Huh. He was just as charming and smiling as he can be. You've seen those smiling pictures of him over the years. And we had a long, wonderful talk, and he gave me some singles and their first album, Tubular Bells. Wow. I had the first copy in the United States, and I played it at home when I got home and instantaneously started using it for my late-night news bed. I had to do a lot of news because they had a requirement, and they shoveled it into the late night so that it wouldn't be in the middle of the day. And I did it for months and months and sold thousands of copies of Tubular Bells as an import. As a result, Epic picked it up 
and that was the first gold record I ever got. Michael Oldfield. Yep. Yeah. Later on in the 80s, when they, he did one tour of the States, I got to meet him, but briefly, and they gave me a, a leather tour jacket <laughs> as a thanks. Cool. I still have it. And Roy Harper is one of my dearest friends, though we have not been in touch as I'd like for a long time. He's one of those people that is one of the contrarians and really most challenging of songwriters. So he's someone that I would gravitate to for sure. I... And Captain Beefheart became a very dear friend what was he like there in was, person he he was just a, he was like a, a living cartoon right we had we first met and we did an interview that was just wonderful and half of it is available online the second half the first half i found as a, a cassette that i've still gotten somehow i've got to get that to be transcribed but after that interview there was a, a, a restaurant called the Pub Tiki, a Polynesian steak joint that was one of the worst restaurants ever. <laughs> but they had a big lunch for a, a lot of the hip Philadelphia people, uh, the, the journalists. And uh, Don, the captain, was in the middle. I got to sit at his uh, left elbow. <laughs> and he was, you know, doing his Captain Beefheart non sequitur thing. And I was, t I was throwing toppers out on him and after a while he just poked me and said now cut that out michael <laughs> and i sent him records like the humpback whale and the uh the wolves the sound of the wolves he loved those things he loved them dearly you know my uh love of radio goes way back uh, we used to be able to pick up uh stations out of Chicago and uh, Minneapolis. Then when I came down to Minneapolis, there was a guy named Franklin Hobbs who had an all-night show. He he bought his own time, sold his own time from midnight uh, until 6, and it was kind of more, I don't want to say easy listening. He played some cool stuff, Sinatra and Perry Como, and uh, uh, good, good jazz cats. And then uh, over the years, I fell under the spell as a teenager, uh, some great DJs out of Duluth, Minnesota. Then there was a great night, a great cat named Leigh Kamen, who had a show called The Jazz Image on Minnesota Public Radio. And uh, my point is, uh, as a musician, as a fan, but as a musician, I have counted so much on great DJs. Um, for example, Larry Monroe, who passed away from uh, KUT in Texas, I've counted on you guys to turn me on to new music, to soothe me, to excite me. Uh, to we were the gatekeepers. Yeah. And we were the constant companions. And I was very, very much aware of both of that. I, when I first got to WMMR from DAS, I was the music director for several months, but I insisted that I be on the air because I'm a performer. In my heart, I perform. That's what I want to do. I never wanted to be the boss. And I've never been the boss. But um, as the music director, I was listening to everything and being the gatekeeper for what would go into the studio. And then even so as a DJ, um, probing and trying to find things and creative ways to put them together that no one else thinks of. Nobody does what I do, Paul. Right. Those shows on Radio That Doesn't Suck dot com are a treasure. And they are so diverse. I mean... There's songs of Hoagie Carmichael. There's a Cole Porter show. 
there's a couple of autobiographical shows that are really pretty dark. Nobody does dark radio. Uh, there's a lot of BBC archives. There's a lot of worldwide Dylan shows, as I called them. And um, there's so much more. I keep doing things all the time. The most recent one this week was a show of songs of Richard Farina. Yeah, sure. I've been down so long, it looks like up to me. Michael Chuson, this has been such a phenomenal hour. I want to thank you for your friendship. Uh, thank you for sharing uh, your own journey on this show and shedding a light on why uh, radio DJs are so damn cool. We are going to go oh, out speaking speak, speak of Michael as a performer. Not only is he one of the DJ, he's also a performer. And we're going to go out with... Uh, a little bit of Michael Tierson doing my song, Jack Ruby. Michael, thank you so much, man. You have a great day you and too, night. Paul. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, man. Talk to you soon. Soon. Bye. Bye. Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby in a Kavanaugh hat. Taught you to shoot a pistol like that Well you snuck in a basement and stood in the back Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby in a Kavanaugh hat Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, you were 15 years old On the south side Chicago you looked up to Capone Stole girls lunch money, beat boys on the way home Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, you were 15 years old Fitting end to this show tonight is paying tribute to the late, great John Prine, an American songwriter who is, in my estimation, comparable to Mark Twain or John Steinbeck. His last record, Tree of Forgiveness, featured this tune called When I Get to Heaven. And John Prine, you're in heaven now, smoking that nine-foot cigarette and having a vodka ginger ale. Thanks for your great work and inspiration over the years. When I get to heaven, I'm going to shake God's hand. Thank him for more blessings than one man can stand. Then I'm going to get a guitar and start a rock and roll band. Check into a swell hotel. Ain't the afterlife grand? And then I'm going to get a cocktail, vodka and ginger ale. Yeah, I'm going to smoke a cigarette that's nine miles long. I'm gonna kiss that pretty girl on the tilt of the world. Cause this old man is going to town. <laughs> then, as God is my witness, I'm getting back into show business. <laughs> I'm gonna open up a nightclub called the Tree of Forgiveness and forgive everybody ever done me any harm. Why well, I might even invite a few choice critics, those syphilitic parasitics, buy them a pint of and smother them with my charm. Cause then I'm gonna get a cocktail, vodka and ginger ale. Yeah, I'm gonna smoke a cigarette that's 
nine miles long. I'm gonna kiss that pretty girl on the tilt of world. Yeah, this old man is going to town. get to heaven, I'm going to take that wristwatch off my arm. What are you going to do with time after you bought the farm? And then I'm going to go find my mom and dad. And good old brother Doug, well, I bet him and cousin Jackie are still cutting up a rug. I want to see all my mama's sisters, because that's where all the love starts. I miss them all like crazy. Bless her little hearts. And I always will remember these words my daddy said. He said, Buddy, when you're dead, you're a dead peckerhead. I hope to prove him wrong, that is, when I get to heaven. Cause I'm gonna have a cocktail, vodka and ginger ale. Yeah, I'm gonna smoke a cigarette that's nine miles long I'm gonna kiss that pretty girl On the tilt of work Yeah, this old man is going to town Yeah, this old man is going to town Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This show was produced by Paul Metzler, engineered by Brett Johnson, in the basement studio at AM 950 in Eden Prairie, which is neither Eden nor a prairie. I'd like to thank our guest tonight, Michael Tiersen. And we want to give you positive vibes out there in the Wall of Power Radio Hour land. Stay safe. Have fun. Stay happy, wash your hands, keep your social distancing. We're going to get through this together. If you would like to contribute to what we're doing on this show, I have a Venmo account. It's just at Paul-Metza, which is M-E-T-S-A. Make sure you support AM 950. We are keeping the progressive vibe alive throughout uh, the Twin Cities, and we appreciate the support. And if you get a few extra coins, send them our way. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. In the time before the fire, in the time.